All listeners, prepare for boarding. This is International Lounge. Hello and welcome to International Lounge, your passport to world culture. We explore history, music, film, food, and tales from travelers. So put your tray tables down because it's going to be a smooth ride. This is Captain Abdu speaking along with my flight attendant, Brendan. Ciao a tutti. Oh, buongiorno. Well, uh, Brendan, can you uh, please tell our passengers of our next destination? Today, we'll be going to Italia, or um, of course, Italy. As, as is known yes, in the English-speaking yes. world. Yes, thank you for uh, for for that uh, vital translation for us. Uh, now, a young uh, a Giuseppe Verdi once said, um, "You may have the universe if I may have Italy." Oh, that's that's a that's a great quote. That's beautiful. Of course, uh, Giuseppe Verdi was the famous uh, opera composer mm-hmm. um, who authored such works as Aida, mm-hmm, mm. uh, Rigoletto, yep. and uh, so forth. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he did more than two. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty he, pretty certain he of that. Did. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, can we please kick off this episode with uh, first segment, a brief time of history? Okay, so um, we'll start with the Etruscans, uh, who dominated the Italian peninsula by the seventh century BC, um, and of course, their name, the name Etruscans, can still be seen somewhat in the region of Tuscany. Oh, Etruscans, Tuscany, interesting. Right, right. And what is that in Italian? It's uh, Toscana. Oh, that sounds delicious. That's great. I just have a a little bite of a Toscana in the morning. Just shave it on your pizza. Beautiful. Um, Let's move on to the uh, the founding of Rome. Mm -hmm. So Rome was founded on the Palatine Hill by Romulus, the twin brother of Remus. Their parents were Rhea Silvia, a Vestal Virgin, and the god Mars. You know, he's Ooh. getting around. Oh, yeah. He's always... Oh, the Vestal Virgins don't stand a chance. They descended from Aeneas, a refugee whose mother was the goddess Venus. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, the myth is that they were raised by a she-wolf. Well, that's kind of interesting because on tours, uh, they'll just say, like, oh, Rome was founded by Romulus. Leaving out the whole part about this being a myth. And Venus and Mars and yeah, she was that. Yeah, they, they don't. don't they, they, they don't mention that. Like, oh, this is a made-up story that we're just presenting as fact. That's true. Yeah, they they just glossed over that. Uh, a, a, a warning to tourists to, of course, avoid the uh, skip the line tours. <laughs> um, so Romulus, he he went on to do some good things. He uh, became the first king of Rome on April twenty first, seven fifty three BC. But only after he killed his brother Remus. Oh. So, now, of course, had Remus uh, won in that battle, we would have been talking about the city of Reims, which doesn't roll off the tongue as nicely. Right. Also, debatable point. <laughs> sure, but, sure. So, uh, seven kings are said to have ruled Rome, uh, with Romulus being the first. Um, the Roman Republic was founded in 509 BC after the fall of Tarquin the Proud. Mm. Uh, and then there's the Punic Wars. Oh, yeah. Uh, in 218 BC, uh, Hannibal of Carthage crossed the Alps into Italy with his army of infantry, horsemen, and, of course, we all know about the elephants. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rome did win the Punic Wars in 146 BC, so uh, point to Rome there. Mm-hmm. Quite an embarrassment uh, to Hannibal and his army of elephants, um, and... Really, elephants have been sort of a uh, comical creature since then. Uh, no one fears them or is, uh, sees them as uh, fierce killers, as Hannibal once did. 
I would dispute that point, <laughs> but um, we should go on to uh, the Colosseum. So why don't you tell us about the Colosseum? Of course. Okay, so the great, mighty Colosseum, of course, inaugurated in AD 80, the 50,000-seat Colosseum, originally known as the Flavian Amphitheater, uh, the name Colosseum, when introduced in medieval times, was not a reference to its size, but to the Colosso de Neron, a giant statue of Nero that stood nearby. So interesting enough, it was not known as the Colosseum at the time. Of course, inside, there was uh, room for about uh, 60,000 people uh, seated and 10,000 or so standing. So the way they did it was, uh, it was free for everybody, which is cool, um, Based on your class in society, determine the row. So high class in the front rows, low class in the nosebleeds. It's kind of like how it is today. Very very much the same in Giants Stadium. (laughs) Um, Now, there was a labyrinth below that was covered with a wooden floor and uh, had at various places with trap doors that be opened. And also, this also lifts, there's lifts to raise and lower animals that took parts in the game. So they would have all kinds of like lions and tigers and bears uh, running around. Uh, chasing after gladiators, fighting each other. Um, the Romans were were bloodthirsty monsters. Um, as a lot of these, a lot of these animals were imported from other, you know, exotic yeah, locales. Sure, so a lot sure. of big cats and stuff like that. So, you know, imagine being a gladiator and all of a sudden there's like a tiger behind you who wants to uh, kill you, or a shark, crazy. or You're something. Like, yeah. yeah, or a shark. Which is interesting <laughs> because they did have naval battles. They did. They actually in the brought Coliseum. They the they in. filled up the. Uh, the Colosseum with water, and they had mock nail battles, which is kind of, kind of interesting, you know, because think about the architecture that had to like withstand that. Interesting too about uh, gladiators is, um, much like today, some of them were the most highest paid people in the really? empire. Really? Yeah, the, uh, the the best gladiator would be handsomely paid. They would have uh, well, nice they... living quarters. All the women would would. Uh, would lust after them. Naturally, naturally. So we can see some so of those... Greased those... up bodies, yeah, I would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> if they were greased up. I don't know, up, I'm just but... imagining. I'm just picturing <laughs> okay. it, that's all. Well, of course, they don't live that long, so... I mean, right, yeah. I mean, I mean you know, it's a, it's yeah. a big risk, so... Yeah. Um, would you do it if you were given the opportunity? To... If I was given the opportunity to be a gladiator... Would you... Well, okay, think well, about this. You were, if you were a slave and they were to offer you freedom to be a gladiator, would you do it? That's a great question. I mean, like, I would have to think about, you know, is there is there chance for a slave revolt? Because mm, if I can get on that train, mm, yeah. then I'd probably do that. But because if you don't know how to fight, being a gladiator, that could be. I mean, it's basically, you know, I wouldn't know anything. Wouldn't know, yeah. Could you just like climb up the wall and try to escape? Go, go to the crowds and try yeah. to escape. Is that an opportunity I don't think that, there? No, you know, there? I think. You know, I think the walls, you can't really climb. I think really? it's engineered, so you can't climb up the walls. Because they, they would have, the, so there were some gladiator fights where they would blindfold both of the gladiators, and then they would just oh, have to wow. run after each other. But if they're, like, constantly in the wrong direction, is that just going to be three hours of just, That's like, true, yeah. swinging in the air? Well, I'm sure they had other things going on. Like, you know, there were tigers, probably, yeah, um, and I'm elephants, sure. and like, who them. Uh, now, I don't know if I would decide to be a gladiator because the thing is, if I were, is being a slave in Roman times that bad? Did slavery only get ugly later on in history or was it always kind of bad? You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if slavery was more like an indentured servitude yeah, in Rome. I don't Rome. care I mean, I, I don't, at that point. Whatever. Know, I don't know. I'll be yeah. a, I would be a slave. 
Uh, You'd rather be a slave than a gladiator. Yeah, I'm not brave. I'm weak. I'm (laughs) feeble. Uh, I think my resume really fits the profile. I think you did make the right choice. (laughs) Yes, Yes, certainly. Certainly. Now, um, uh, speaking of of, uh, the opposite of being meek and feeble, let's talk about your bad boy, uh, Julius Gaius Caesar. Right, so... Julius Caesar was born in 100 BC. Uh, of course, he became one of Rome's most masterful generals. In 60 BC, he formed an alliance with Pompey and Crassus, which makes up the first triumvirate. And now, just for our audience to, to sort of understand this, uh, Crassus is sort of like the, uh, the Michael Collins or, or Bunny Whaler of ancient Rome, sort of the third guy that no one remembers or cares about. Right. Um, Caesar then goes on to conquer Gaul, which... Mm-hmm. Uh, we know now as France today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, jealous of his power, Pompey and the Senate outlawed Caesar, Caesar in 49 BC. Mm-hmm. On January 7th, Caesar crossed the Rubicon River into Italy and civil war began. Of course, that is the famous quote, alia iacta est, or the die is cast. Ooh, yeah, that's great. Upon his return to Rome in 46 BC, he assumed dictatorial power. Mm-hmm. By 44 BC, it was clear Caesar had no plans to restore the Republic and dissent starts growing in the Senate. So just think about this. We, we used to have, um, like, you had your seven kings, and then the Roman Republic was a big deal. Like, it was, that was, like, really the, like, that was a huge shift in the way uh, this, this nation was being run. And now Caesar comes in and sort of just kind of is going back to this monarchy. So um, eventually a small band of conspirators led by Marcus Junius Brutus... Mm-hmm. stabbed Caesar to death in a Senate meeting on the Ides of March, March 15th, after he was proclaimed himself dictator for life. I mean, I guess technically he was a, a dictator for the rest of his life. If uh, So in a lot of ways, he actually was uh, successful in his uh, in his vision. Yeah, I guess you could look at it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so it, was, it wasn't all bad. Well, let's, let's move on to some more. <laughs> let's move on to some more heavyweights of Rome. All right. So. Now, after the death of Caesar, Mark Antony steps in the picture along with Octavian, who is the great nephew of Caesar and also his adopted son. Can you adopt an adult? Um, I know in Japan okay? you can do that. They do do that. I don't know about yeah. it in ancient Rome. Yeah. They might, it might have originated there because I know yeah, in Japan it's that if you have kids and they're all losers – uh, you can just adopt some other guy, and that can be your son you can give your business to. Oh, that's and a great system. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. You actually don't even have to raise good kids. There's a way out. There's always hope. Okay. Uh, so what you're saying is Julius Caesar's other sons were losers. He, probably losers. Probably losers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he abandoned them um, or drowned them in the Tiber River. Uh, that is, of course, speculation of uh, no uh, historical merit. <laughs> now, uh, let's talk about Mark Antony and uh, and Octavian. So, uh, Mark Antony is the lieutenant of Caesar. Uh, he and Octavian uh, plunged into civil war against Caesar's assassins. Now, Octavian controlled the western half of the empire, and Antony controlled the east. Uh, Antony fell head over heels, however, for uh, Ms. Uh, Cleopatra in 31 BC. Oh, man. oh yes, who, the, the who eyes, wouldn't? the uh, I don't know, the, the bracelets. Yes, <laughs> the bracelets of, in those days. You really just couldn't <laughs> resist. <laughs> yeah, of course, it was um, insatiable. Historians actually don't think that she was that beautiful. Interesting. Well, yeah, according, I, I according think, to contemporary sources, yeah. they they were saying that you know she's really not you know 
Helen of Troy. Sure, sure. Uh, which is interesting. That's kind of a hard but, standard to live by. But in those days, it was more about, you know, uh, marriages of power, I sure, guess, right? Sure. So even today, it's very... Oh, sure. Find yourself a nice man with a good family. <laughs> sure, sure. Just got to have a J-O-B, that's all. Yep. That's all we need, ladies. Okay, let's uh, move on. Uh, okay, now, uh, so he falls in love with uh, Cleopatra, um, but uh, now at this point, this is uh, 31 BC, Octavian goes to war uh, uh, and finally claimed victory uh, over Antony and Cleopatra at the Battle of Actium in Greece. Uh, the following year, Octavian invades Egypt, and Antony and Cleopatra sadly commit suicide in the name of love. Right, yeah, or... Or, Maybe not. Or just Maybe. defeat from war. Cleopatra famously commits suicide uh, at the hand of an asp. Mm, an asp bit her. Interesting. Which is really a, a tough way to go. I mean, because you're you know watching yourself. Like, you know, you know this snake yeah. is going to play. It's very... It's, there could have been better disturbing. ways. How, how would you uh, kill yourself in this time period? In so this you can't time like period, get hit by a bus, let's say. But yes. you, you are now in you know Egypt at this time. Octavian's at your door. Uh, ready to invade? What do you? I mean, do? I think that you know one of the easiest ways would be enlist in the army. Just that's. You but then you have to, that's that's you not really immediate. That's not sort of not like a. I guess in, yeah, in you, the moment. Yeah, you're thinking ahead. Yeah, you know that's that's. Sure, if I want to do the novel, just the, the old age, then that would be I'm my sure. way. Well, this is Rome. You know, there's lots of cliffs you can find. Sure. Uh, oh, so you're gonna do? Off you're gonna jump that's off also, a cliff? That's, that's scary that's tough. too. That's really scary. Well, no, you can buy poison anywhere. Right? Yeah, I would do yeah. like kind of a hemlock sort of a thing. Yeah, yeah, um, that would be there, There's some romance to that. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, uh, right. You could kind of mix it in maybe a pasta dish. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, Was pasta? I don't know if pasta. They I had think pasta not not until at the, that time. Not until Marco Polo and his great uh, discovery in yeah. Uh, is, of course, uh, racist tales of the Orient, which we will later talk about. I would say you would saute your main ingredients, like you know your onions, yeah, sure. and your meats, mm-hmm. and you know, you serve that, and then you you put the hemlock on it as sort of like a dressing. Ooh, that's how you would do that's it. That's lovely. Yeah. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. That's what they should have done with Caesar instead of just stabbing him. Right. Uh, maybe a, some sort of a, a maybe they would even call it like a Caesar salad or something. And and the <laughs> that's that's probably you know that's that would have been really really uh, anticlimactic though. I mean, you think so? You, would, you wouldn't have got the yeah. too brute. There would be Brutus. no et tu brute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. so, so, uh, so okay. So that's that's how you'd go down. Um, yeah, I'd probably just uh, light myself on fire and just uh, maybe go into battle uh, as see, some that's... sort of a flaming monster. <laughs> <laughs> if you so can wait, imagine, you're trying to kill yourself, but like you need. To, it's like you're doing two things to kill yourself. You're lighting yourself on fire. I don't know. I, I've never killed myself before. I, I don't know. Okay. I don't even know where to begin. I'm sorry. Okay. okay. Let's talk about uh, what happens next. So we've got uh, Octavian. Um, he's now left as the sole ruler of the Roman world by 27 BC and um, changes his name to Augustus, which means your eminence. So it's not so much a name, but a title. Uh, and in effect, he becomes an emperor. And this was the golden age of for the arts and architecture, and during his reign, the Pantheon was raised. Um, we have uh, Virgil writes the Aeneid, but uh, as all golden ages, they do uh, turn to uh, to coal. Right. I mean, that's that's <laughs> if all... gold turns to coal over time. <laughs> that's all nice and well, but yeah, there were some um, there were some strange characters who uh, mm-hmm. who who pop up on the scene. 
later on, um, uh, we'll start with uh, Tiberius, who uh, he was Roman emperor uh, immediately after this time. He was very much devoted to the sort of um, finer things in life as well as the more lustful things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was devoted. He devoted himself to drinking, uh, wild orgies, oh, and yeah. Tell me classic about fits of paranoia. Oh, good times! Um, <laughs> and you know, right after him, there was Caligula, who was even more insane than Tiberius. He actually had one. He once suggested making a horse his consul in the Senate. Mm, no, no different than our, than our, our folks in Congress, <laughs> huh? But <Ba-dum. laughs> I don't know anyone. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> He once declared war on Neptune, who is uh, the god of the sea. And then we have uh, Nero, uh, who famously was said to have fiddled while, while, while Rome burned to the ground in uh, 64 BC. And, you know, it's interesting, like all these crazy Roman emperors. Um, and there are a lot of theories as to why they were insane, like whether it was due to uh, things in their diet, like mm-hmm. mercury, whether it was due to inbreeding. Interesting. Yeah, the mercury um, thing is interesting. That's sort of the, the Mad Hatter. Uh, the reason he was mad was because of his hat. The brim of right, hats right. at the time mm-hmm. had a, had a rim of uh, mercury in it, and, and people would go crazy. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, they didn't really know what they were eating back then. Yeah. So, I think a lot of it's due to inbreeding, though. It seems like there was just this tight circle of people who were doing their thing, which is interesting because you know they have the orgies, which sh- surely should have helped with the randomization of breeding. Right, that's true. But, uh, Do you think if you had this type of power in ancient Rome, what what type of Leader would you be? I mean, you really kind of have absolute power. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can do what you want. You can mm-hmm. have, you have a harem, mm-hmm. eat whatever food you want. I mm-hmm. mean, do you think you would have? What would have occupied your mind then? Uh, I don't know how uh, involved I would get in the orgies. I mean, for the people's sake, obviously I'll still have to host them, but mm-hmm. I'll just wait upstairs, I guess, and <laughs> clean up after or something. Yeah. It sounds like you're doing the job of someone who's not an emperor. <laughs> okay, sure. So. sure. Um, I, I definitely wouldn't go to war with Neptune, god of the sea. That's a yeah. little... Into, I would go with, like, the, the god of grains or something easy, <laughs> you know? What is that, like, Ceres? I think it's Ceres, of course, where the word cereal comes from. Uh, so next up, we have uh, Constantine, mm-hmm. uh, Emperor Constantine. He was famously known for reversing the policy on Christian persecution in 313 AD in his Edict of Milan. But uh, he divided the empire into two in 330 AD, with the second capital being in Constantinople and in Byzantium. So things Mm-mm. are starting to get a little no, shaky. No, well, you cannot divide and conquer. That's for sure a saying. And um, surely what happens next in 455 AD, Rome was sacked by the Vandals. 476, the last emperor of the Western Roman mm-hmm. Empire. Romulus Augustulus was deposed. Interesting. I like that it goes sort of from Romulus to Romulus, from beginning to end. And the chapter of the mighty Rome is closed. But, but Italy moves on. International Lounge here uh, in Rome at the Colosseum. And we are here with... Carlo. Carlo. And you give tours here at the yes, Colosseum. How yes. long have you been giving tours here? Only to, I began this uh, job more or less to 16 years ago. 16 oh, wow. Years. Wow. Uh, what, what what do you love about the Colosseum? Why, why did you decide to give tours uh, here? For example, you can see to the tourists went inside room, very impressed, very amazing. It was only very cool build, very huge, but sure. only very incredible the time rooms employ here to build only eight years to build. It's incredible. That's amazing. Now, uh, 
the, I always heard the story of where the uh, the thumbs up. Yes. You know the thumbs th- up. It yeah. came from here. Can you tell the story about uh, where that was invented here at the Coliseum? None is only thing is only to force the Roman game the games only to as then the, the sword the destiny the duel the show the destiny the emperor and the um, Roman crowd put the mm-hmm. fingers at the life or mask is it true. We okay. decided very often to regulate very much as to training, very often to regulate you never made the same gladiator. Uh, okay. If you survive the winner and then carry you see the freedom. Sure. Be an, an, free yeah, free, yeah. Free so a thumbs up means they can live, it's thumbs correct. down. It's true is a fool is a true no fool. Okay. Yes. Okay. Interesting. And uh, when did when did the um, the games end? Uh, well, they used to tell it for to the games only to begin here to the first century AD, but only to middle age only the stop performer here. Really? And this building completely destroyed. Use only recycling material to begin a quarry or build material uh-huh. marble recycling to build churches by oh, pulling okay. the Christian recycling marble to build oh, wow. churches. Wow. They were removed completely. Wow. So only the structure design after main and the ruins. Excellent. Thank you so much. So Thank will, it, will so there much. ever be games here ever again? <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so now, uh, after the fall of Rome, let's flash forward to the Middle Ages. So by the 6th century, Rome was in a bad way and in desperate need of a leader. Into the breach stepped the church, okay? Pope Gregory I, PG1, okay, in 590 AD, uh, rescued Rome from its demise. Uh, Now, as the Papal States rose, uh, they struck a deal with the Franks for military backing, and their king Charlemagne was crowned the Holy Roman Emperor on Christmas Day in 800 AD. Quite a gift to open up under the tree that morning. Yeah. Um, now, interesting, um, Venice remained independent at this time, and the control of Byzantium soon became no more than nominal and signaled their independence through one great symbolic act, the theft of the body of St. Mark from Alexandria in 828. But here's the thing. Some scholars believe uh, this actually to be the body of Alexander the Great, um, which thus debunking uh, the story that a uh, friend Egyptologist of mine in Egypt told me that the body of Alexander the Great is, of course, in a basement in Los Angeles. <laughs> he was so convinced by this. I feel um, like there's a lot of theories in Egypt sure. about where people are buried. Sure. Like it's never where they actually are buried. Right. It's always like, oh, it's in um, some KFC in Tahrir Square. <laughs> <laughs> like, which is... Uh, quite believable, given all the preservatives in the food. Now, um, so what happens in, in the Middle Ages? Um, it's not all. It's not all. Uh, it's not all grim, as you'd imagine, because you know the Arabs introduced uh, spaghetti to Sicily uh, in 1150 AD. So uh, you know, on one hand, you have the plague, but on the other. Uh, a nice, uh, a nice spaghetti. You can sprinkle some hem- hemlock on it. <laughs> Surely. Um, also, around this time, a Venetian merchant uh, Marco Polo embarks on a 24-year journey to Central Asia and China, uh, and he sort of basically it's his family, his father and his uncle, and then they're under like they're like under in the court of Kublai Khan for like 20 years. And then on his way back, he they go back to Venice. There's like a civil war at the time. Uh, Marco Polo is landed in jail. Um, and there's this like writer that's also in the prison with him. And then he tells his whole story. So this is why it gets recorded. If it wasn't for that guy he meets uh. in jail, the, like that like, like romance novelist, <laughs> uh, these stories wouldn't have gone to print. It is sort of just like a bunch of college backpackers... Uh, uh, sweeping through uh, Asia and uh, obtaining venereal diseases. 
<laughs> as any uh, summer vacay is riddled with. Now, I like the obtaining. That's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a nice use of euphemism. Uh, no, it is interesting because I, I sort of uh, I I, uh, I was just just looking through some uh, little snippets of of the sources. It's called the Tales of Marco Polo, and he describes like all these like these you know Arab cities, and he'll talk about. Um, exotic animals and it's like an alligator. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like that's the whole well, it's book. It's like, well, I feel like I feel like you know, back then you could kind of write anything because it's not like some guy who mm-hmm. reads the book in yeah. Italy is going to actually go to these places. Most of the book is wildly inaccurate and racist. Um, at the time, um, I think that was okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was fine. That's why you can't trust books. No, I, I don't uh, trust anything I uh, read or see in a. Any print form, just audio, <laughs> as this is. Of course. Um, okay, so now uh, moving on, we got in 1348, we got the Black Death, bubonic plague wreaked havoc across Italy. You know, so the the day the days of uh, of spaghettios are long gone, unfortunately. <laughs> um, we got, you know, in, in 1222, uh, the University of Padua was founded, and one of the first universities in the world, actually. Um, now. Some famous alumni. We got Galileo, of course, of telescopic fame, and uh, Casanova of sexual conquest fame are both, uh, of course, alumni, which interesting, sort of just that you imagine sort of a college campus, you know, you got a sort of the, the, the nerdy Galileo mm-hmm. and sort of the Van Wilder Casanova. Right, right. Uh, what do you think he's, st- what is, was his major? His uh, major was, uh, of course, goofing off and... Uh, and uh, macking it to the ladies, <laughs> yeah. famously. How do you say macking it in uh, medieval Italian? <laughs> no, I'm sure Galileo was always just like like a peeping tom into oh, the yeah, sororities yeah. with his telescope. That's how he got so good. Yeah. I, I, I if I I imagine there was some story of uh, of Galileo in the lab making a telescope and. Uh, uh, Casanova, you know, on his way to a, a panty raid, you know, snatches it to, <laughs> to sort of peep on the ladies as they're changing. Yeah, we don't even know if they were alive at the same time. <laughs> we actually <laughs> cannot confirm that. <laughs> we cannot confirm that, nor the sort of uh, antics that they got up to. Yeah. Um, nice. All right, let's now let's move on, okay? Because uh, of course, uh, in the Middle Ages, uh, we've got. Uh, you know, the papal states are growing. we got popes now, and the popes, you know, they got to live somewhere, okay? They just can't be homeless on the streets. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So where do they live? They live in, of course, the Vatican. Can you please tell us about that? Right. So the Vatican. The Vatican's history as the seat of the Catholic Church began with the construction of a basilica over St. Peter's grave in Rome in the 4th century. Famous landmarks such as the Sistine Chapel and the new St. Peter's Basilica were erected. Not the only thing erected, of course, in the Vatican. Oh yeah, the uh, the po- a lot of popes they died, uh, they died having sex. Did they really? Yeah, that's wait a- what? No, that's what happened. What do you mean? There are a couple of popes that had heart attacks who died uh, during sex. Really? Yeah, with women or uh, I think it's just kids. And- no, like <laughs> women, men. Men. Okay. Really interesting, and they, and. Um, what did what was the sort of official papal statement on that? You know, I don't know if they gave official papal statements back then, <laughs> but uh, uh, they were hit, they were in the history books. So, okay, well, like, how what, what era is this? Middle Ages. This is they would have to be Middle Ages. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Well, Middle Age crisis, surely. You can... know, Pope's gotta Pope's gotta get his thing on. Hey, 
And who's going to say nope to the Pope? You know, That's right. If they are prepositions. No one is going to do that. <laughs> so for such a long-running institution, the Vatican, um, as you may have uh, seen in movies such as The Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons, they have a lot of uh, archives mm-hmm. and relics sure. from back in the day. Um, one interesting one um, is uh, Bartolomeo Lorenzo de Guzmão, a priest who lived in the then Portuguese colony of Brazil in the late 1600s. He uh, actually designed plans for a flying machine called the Passarola, which resembled the giant inflated bird. Whoa. <laughs> which is really cool. I mean, think, That's about, crazy. think about like what that looks like. It's just, wow. Everyone was probably like, why would you want this? <laughs> <laughs> why was that hidden in the Vatican? Why did that need to be there? That's true, yeah. And I was, so I'll be honest, I, I, I was looking up the list of Vatican secret archives in the hopes there was like, you know, just like rows of like dead alien bodies or like all kinds of stuff most of the list was boring it was like here are letters to queen elizabeth the first like <laughs> i don't care wait why would you think that the vatican would have alien bodies <laughs> no i just thought if you're gonna hide something it should be interesting uh this was interesting this was actually the only interesting thing on that list uh, I think there's got to be something else in there. There's, there's probably gotta, lots of the good Ark stuff. of the Covenant, something. Because actually, it was weird because the, the Holy Grail. Is... I, I think so because uh, you know when I went on a, that on a tour, um, their tour guide uh, he said something weird about like how they went during the Crusades they brought back the Ark of the Covenant to Rome mm. and it was on the Palatine Hill and like I wanted to ask a question. It's like, what are you talking about? Like that didn't happen. Like they brought it back to Rome? Because then where is it now? Yeah, yeah. I've read that uh, the, whoever is overseeing it, he's he's always maintained that you actually can't look at it. It's so powerful. It would cause disruption in the world if it was to be looked upon. Which just means that he like doesn't have it. <laughs> yeah. basically. It's so precious that actually I can never show it to you, yeah. tell you where it is, what it looks like, or describe it in any way. It's like when you're in middle school and like you have like a girlfriend but you actually don't. Yeah. Like your friends can't see her. Yeah, it's like you have a girlfriend in like Canada that you met at camp. Yeah, and... yeah. And like she doesn't speak English. <laughs> and it's just like it's like, yeah, it's just like she's always busy on the weekends, like <laughs> I can go see her, but she can never come here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh moving on to the the Renaissance. Uh, the intellectual and artistic explosion that would take place across northern Italy in the 14th and 15th centuries. Uh, this begins with Lorenzo Ghiberti, followed by his pupil Donatello. And then there comes uh, Leonardo da Vinci, of course. Uh, he was a Florentine. All right, now, Brendan, tell us what you know about the great Leonardo da Vinci. Well, I mean, everyone knows about his paintings. You sure. know, his paintings are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Supper time. Mona Lisa's great. Yeah. <laughs> Last Supper's good. Yep. His other works are good. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a lot of attention paid to his uh, inventions or mm-hmm. like his, you know, his supposed inventions. Sure. Uh, he has a lot of um, sketches that he's done. And one of them uh, is one of them is the, uh, like he sketched a flying machine. Interesting. Which was, you know, the precursor to the helicopter or the plane. Well, okay, let's slow down here because, because I hear, I hear, you know, I hear a lot about this. Like he sketched a, a plane, he sketched these, all these movies. And they're like, oh, well, he invented that. They're like, well, no, you, you drew it. You drew a plane and that was it. Like, I can draw a time machine. It doesn't mean I made a time machine. Like, I don't know why he's getting all this credit. Well, he didn't just draw the plane. I mean, okay. he, you know, there was some, he had some machinery going on. He, Here they were we pretty go. detailed. They were, what have you sketched? I have sketched a great uh, the, uh, three-dimensional cube and uh, <laughs> some uh, nice... But yeah, some people do... do uh, 
some people set out to actually recreate what he's um, what he put down on paper. Interesting. And some things actually do do work. I have obviously as as putting together sort of this uh, this segment. I did just zero in on the uh, Ninja Turtle named artists, <laughs> assuming they were the most uh, famous. <laughs> In a, in a way, I mean, you know, you're not that far off. Yeah, I figured there was some, there, there must have been some significance. I mean, that's why they were the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that was it. Yeah. Good. <laughs> um, so, Leonardo da Vinci, of, of course, he uh, he painted the uh, the Madonna on the rocks. Which one is that? That sounds some, like some sort of a cocktail drink, you know. No, that's, a, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's just, you know. The Virgin Mary, sure. and there's like some rocks. Sure, <laughs> it sounds about right. I, I kind of like, you know, when I went to the, um, what was it, the uh, the Borghese Museum, this was like the day after the Vatican, and like, I'm sorry, like, I, at some point I just couldn't see another Virgin Mary painting. Like, yeah, yeah. And a lot of them were just sort of the same thing. At one point, <laughs> at one point there was a painting of the Virgin Mary breastfeeding, and that's just when I called it. I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I cannot, I cannot see one. That's it. That's well, the end of it. Uh, so, um, at the turn of the 16th century, uh, a young and hungry Florentine painter named Michelangelo was commissioned to decorate the Sistine Chapel for Pope Julius in 1506, a feat which took four years uh, to do. A very impressive feat. Um, I know you've you've seen the ceiling firsthand. What do you, what do you make uh, okay. of it? Okay, so here's my thoughts. First of all, the the thing is, when you go to the Vatican, you it it is packed. It is like uh, you know, like just like shoulder to shoulder packed. It takes you hours just to get to the Sistine Chapel, and that's like sort of the grand conclusion of this tour. And you get in, and you're not allowed to talk or take pictures. And if you do talk. Over a loudspeaker, they tell you to keep it down, mm. like a recording that right, loops. Right. And they say that the reason you can't talk is because the vibrations will mess up the paintings. But that loudspeaker is at least a hundred times louder than anybody was at any given point. Yeah. So is... I, I really don't understand why that's being enforced because it's not really – it's not helping the situation. Right. What did you think of the actual – Oh, the actual <laughs> uh, masterpiece inside. Yeah. Uh, sure. So, um, well, it was cool, but it was, it was very, very overwhelming. You kind of have to sort of just like take time with each segment. Uh, what I thought was interesting actually, um, was, uh, some of the, uh, theories behind some of the paintings or the stories. So it was cool. Like, you know, a lot of times they'll be like, oh, you see that guy that looks like Saint somebody, Oh, that's actually, you know, one of his, you know, patrons or that guy that's like the devil is actually some guy that like. You know, like made fun of Michelangelo once. Oh, yeah, so that yeah, was yeah. interesting. Right, right all right. the background stuff. Uh, but the one thing I, I want I want to point out is uh, we have uh, this uh, this mention of um, how in uh, the the center, if obviously the uh, what is it called, the Birth of Man, mm-hmm. right? Uh, actually, a um, they actually say that uh, the where God that sort of that shape actually looks like a brain. With like a brain stem. Oh, that's really that interesting? interesting. Yeah, yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. But think about think about that image. That actually does sort of have the shape of a brain and now to a, a lifeless body that he's giving life to. You know, it's interesting too because God's finger is like pointed very straight and mm. Adam's is, Adam's yeah. hand is like lilting yeah. as if he has no life. So Michelangelo, he knew what he was doing. I think so. I, mean, I like how they how artists, they also, they sort of like, you know, put in those little Easter eggs 
of oh, yeah. people they don't like or you know people they do like into their paintings. It's kind of like what rappers do today. Sure, sure, sure. Michelangelo is sort was sort of the um, fetty wap of his day. Uh, now. <laughs> What uh, what is interesting? Like, I remember, like in the, the the tour, they were sort of being like, "Oh, well, the um, you know, the face of uh, Jesus looks like you know this other person, and it was a reference to this and that." And like, I wanted to tell the tour guys, like, all these faces look the same. Like, actually, I can't tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. They all look like the same person. Yeah, like, I don't know what you're talking that's true. about. Yeah, yeah. She's she like she like she like all like smiling, like, "Oh, do you see how this resembles that person I mentioned at the beginning?" Like. What? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I, these all look like That's these all look like Julius like, Caesar. Like, I don't know. Generic, like middle-aged person. <laughs> yeah, middle-aged like, person. I don't know. So, moving on to some more uh, some Renaissance tidbits. Um, in Venice in 1756, uh, our, our guy Casanova, mm-hmm. he was condemned to a uh, five years confinement in an attic prison for uh, supposedly corrupting nuns and spreading Freemasonry. But uh, ever the uh, sly guy, he escaped through the roof of his cell and walked confidently out through the front door, even pausing for a coffee on Piazza San Marco. Interesting. That, that seems very Italian way that to, is a very uh, to, Italian to, thing to break do. out of prison. A very Italian thing to do, though, given the, uh, the, the, um, the astronomical prices of a, <laughs> of a cup of coffee there, um, probably uh, better to have just stayed in prison. Um, now, <laughs> I don't really know why he's famous. He's just, he just like, I guess did it a lot. <laughs> like, I, don't I feel really like know. there's something else to him that I we don't know about, don't but he was, know. that was part of his story. Yeah, I guess. Sure. All right. So now let's talk about the birth of a nation, Brendan. Okay. Um, so, uh, Napoleon, uh, marched into Italy on several occasions and created the so-called Kingdom of Italy in 1805. Uh, so not until that time period was there really something called Italy as a nation. But, Brendan, uh, this is not the only thing that was born at this time. Uh, a, a, a delicious uh, treat known as pizza is, of course, born in 1889 by Rafael Esposito. He invented the Pizza Margarita in honor of Queen Margarita. Right, and do you know why it's um, the the margarita pizza is the color colors that it is? Uh, I'm sure it's some sort of uh, maybe she was a virgin queen, and it's to I don't represent her menses or you know how they are in that time. <laughs> that is a quite an overthinking. Sure, sure. Of, it is. Uh, well, think about it. the it is the cheese, which is white, mm-hmm. the red. Uh, tomato mm-hmm. and the basil, which is green, which is the Italian flag. Also interesting with with uh, pizza is, um, you know, so basically it was a peasant food, mm-hmm. um, and the original pizza was the pizza marinara, mm-hmm. uh, which comes marinara, of course, mariner right. was sort of mariner, mm-hmm. and it was all the mariners' wives would bake them a pizza. Uh, I would certainly sail the high seas just to come back to a. To a cheesy slice. All right, so now, uh, now that we've uh, uh, served up that appetizer, let's talk about uh, the delicious Benito Mussolini. <laughs> uh, of course, he will leave a sour taste in your mouth. Um, he uh, was born in 1883. Uh, he formed a right-wing militant political group uh, that by 1921 had become the fascist party. Mm. Uh, he called himself Il Duce, or the leader. Um, now, in uh, Mussolini entered on uh, Germany's side in 1940, 
uh, which is actually a, a move that Hitler uh, must have regretted later because they often found themselves – Germany found themselves having to rescue Italy several times in military campaigns. Um, so, you, so do you think like sort of Hitler had a sort of animosity towards Mussolini? I know that, yeah, in later, later. in later years he definitely did not. Damn. Yeah, there was some tension there. He, who, who didn't Hitler hate, really, at that point? <laughs> who was left? Yeah, that's true, because he was purging even a lot of his own party members at yeah. that point, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, let's see, who did Hitler like? Like Ava Braun? Sure. That's, yeah. Yeah, his dog. Okay. Um, so, there you go. Yeah, so it, Italy was not... There, there should be a film called Hitler's List of, of all the people he, he likes. Mm. It would be like probably just a short film. Yeah. So resistance fighters actually caught Mussolini as he fled north in the hope of reaching Switzerland. Um, they shot him and his lover, Clara Petacci, uh, before stringing up their corpses in Milan's uh, Pizzolatto. And this is where, uh, you know, they get the famous saying, string him up by the lamppost. Oh, really? That's yeah. what I'm Interesting. All right. So, Brendan, let's flash forward to the modern times. Let's talk about your boy, Silvio Berlusconi, uh, quite a charismatic man, a cruise ship crooner and media magnate swept to power in 2001 and again in April 2008. Um, his uh, carefully choreographed blend of charisma, confidence, and irreverence and promises of tax cuts appealed to many Italian voters. Um, <clears throat> he enjoyed political success and longevity that was incomprehensible to many outsiders. Part of this sounds very apropos oh, certainly. to uh, politics today. Of course. Well, the more things change, the more they stay the same, what? as said by the great poet Virgil. <laughs> uh, now, he had a constantly evolving charge sheet covering money laundering, corruption, sex scandals, gerrymandering, um, and forcing through backdated legislation to get himself out of sticky court cases. He was also accused of a sex scandal with a 17-year-old entertainer after attending one of his wild bunga bunga parties. Interestingly enough, he like his excuse for this was that he said like he thought this was like the granddaughter or grandniece of uh, of Hosni Mubarak, Egyptian president mm. at that time. Um, so like I don't know why that's a good excuse. Yeah, that's What like, was that supposed to get him out of? That's like not an excuse. <laughs> like, so, anyway, um, then in 2011, Berlusconi was finally forced to resign due to the deepening debt crisis. Uh, so after after lengthy post-electoral uh, negotiations, Enrico Letta was named prime minister, steering a precarious right-left coalition. Then, in 2014, he was toppled by the former mayor of Florence, Matteo Renzi, Italy's youngest ever leader. And wow. here we are. Now we've come a long way from uh, from Romulus to Renzi. And um, that, Brendan, completes our brief time of history segment. So let's take a break and we'll come back uh, to the travel log. Okay. Here we are in the canals of Venice aboard a gondola with our gondolier. And your name is? Fabio. Fabio. Nice okay, Hello. well, thank you for uh, joining us on International Lounge. Uh, now, Fabio, can you tell us a little bit about the history of the gondola? Uh, when did it start? Yeah. The start? The first gondola started 1,094. Wow. My job is very old. It's a roughly more than 900 years old. Oh my goodness. You mind, a long time ago, and in Venice, just maybe only 200 years ago, in Venice, you have 15,000 gondola inside oh it. 
Um, now how long have you been a gondolier? Is a more time. Is a roughly is a more with the twenty years. Yes. Yeah. So have you ever seen anyone uh, fall into the canal or fall or Sometime, jump off a bridge? Yes, <laughs> but uh, me. Yes. It's true. It's no folly. You've never fallen once. Never folly. You've never fallen once in in twenty one, years. Yes, but. Uh, <laughs> But really, I wait in this moment yeah. because it's possible. You work in the, on the water, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe uh, what do you call my wife with the phone, right? You're right. <laughs> it's possible. Eh? Are there any um, boat police boats through the police canals? Police boat, local police boat. Oh wow! Have you ever been pulled over? Get a ticket? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This is uh, truly a, uh, a beautiful job in a, in, a, in a beautiful city. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So we are back, and this is the travel log segment in which uh, we interview a traveler uh, to our selected destination. Uh, so uh, fortunately, um, I've had a recent uh, trip to Italy, and our uh, flight attendant, Brendan, had spent some time in there as well. So we, we've, uh, we can... Uh, kind of compare our experiences so um uh let's let's start off with our uh, our first question so let me ask you uh, what was your favorite city uh in mm, italy that you visited okay so uh i went to three cities it was milan rome and venice and i'm gonna have to say hands down venice because uh just walking through the streets like you feel like you're completely immersed in it like when you're in rome you know, there's cool places to see, but then there's parts of it that just feel like you're in New York. When you're in Venice, it's just like, it's like a whole labyrinth. Um, like during the day, it's a lot of fun, you know, but like at night, it's a whole other city. It's like mysterious. It's cool. Um, you know, like you, you know, you can, you can walk to like, somehow you can walk like through any direction and you'll eventually get to where you want to go. I don't know how it happens. Um, it's like the the ghost of know, Marco Polo is guiding you somehow. <laughs> yes. I don't know. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. <laughs> um, no, it is it is it is cool in Venice because um, uh, when when the lights go down in the city and everyone's sort of like scattered out, uh, you walk through like the alleyways and you're like, well, this is just a regular place where people live, and it's like it really does look like it could not have changed. Yeah, for five hundred years. Yeah, like you feel like you are like uh, like you are like a part of that city, and like there's just there's elements of it that feel like you are like in like like the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Like you are gonna like you know bump into like Casanova, like as he's had his way with a with a nun or two. I don't know <laughs> whatever he does. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but it, it was really cool. Even like that, th- there was that story of the the it was like in the nineties of like that thief in Venice um, about how he like. He was like an art thief mm. in Venice, and like, of course, that was the crime in Venice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it's about very a classy crime. Yeah, yeah, it's like, of course, it's like an art thief that like only steals like high class like paintings, mm-hmm. and like if he steals from you, that's like a sign that you're like of the elite. Right, and then he eventually would give it back. He'd yeah, give the painting back. Yeah, it's that like is, all the show. That is <laughs> like yeah. that is so Venetian. Like, yeah, yeah. He used to actually, uh, he used to have coffee with the police chief. Yeah. And like, they was just, it was just like a cat and mouse game. Yeah. Yeah. It was that great. was an amazing story, mm-hmm. but it just totally, it completely showed you like, even like the crime in Venice, uh, is like 
fine, like... It's sophisticated. So sophisticated. Yeah. I'm sure that's what people think when they get off the train. They're like, luggage gets stolen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow. That was it's, so like, great. it's like, only by the best. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Uh, but what's sad is the is is knowing that actually like one day Venice is not going to be there anymore because it's actually going to sink. Yeah, it is. It is very sad. I mean, like hopefully they will find a way to uh, engineer some type of solution, like what they're doing in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. places like that. But um, there is a big possibility that yeah, Venice could be underwater. So we encourage, um, uh, please uh, get there as soon as possible. Please, everyone, crowd the <laughs> tiny island of Venice. <laughs> so um, what was the most surprising thing that you encountered in Italy or that you experienced in Italy that you thought maybe you this was something you did not expect? Good question. Okay, so I will say what was surprisingly good was um, the Borghese Museum, which you actually have to buy tickets in advance and they give you like two hours uh, to see. It's all Renaissance art. It's like in the middle of the park. Uh, and the park's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, you have two hours, which is, like, I've, the most I've ever, like, been in, like, a museum. Right, <laughs> so, like, right, by right. far. Yeah. And I didn't even spend the full, full two hours. <laughs> uh, but it's really cool because they have all this, like, amazing stuff just, like, like in that museum. And, it, and, like, because they only let in a certain amount of people at a time, yeah, like, it's not crowded. It's yeah. not like the Vatican Museum where you are, like, jam-packed with a bunch of, like, like – sweaty guys from like new jersey like, yeah yeah it is like <laughs> it's like nice and like calm and quiet you get actually actually see stuff mm-hmm. i mean obviously like when i go to a museum like i don't know am i supposed to like read everything that like it <laughs> yeah, says or like yeah. or am I just like look at it right like, right, right. like what like okay <laughs> no question like what are you supposed to like do when you're in a museum like when you look at something like do you feel something or are you supposed to like know what it means I mean, the, or like it, learn yeah, what I it mean, means like, I, i've never really known that i think it depends her painting. I mean, some of the paintings are so uh, there's such of a virtuoso level that you yeah. sort of you know sit there in awe. But I think a lot of the times, like if you're not an expert, you know, you see you see you see a painting and you see another one, you're like, okay, because <laughs> like, like that's what I, like when I was in the Vatican Museum and it's just like it's like another like naked like kid statue. I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. like, like I wasn't even excited about the first one. Like <laughs> now I saw like a dozen of these. Like, yeah, yeah. A lot of it's just like naked people yeah. on a canvas. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, that can be thrilling in and of itself. What about the uh, the food that you have there? What had there? What was the, uh, uh, what was this? What was this? What were the good things you ate? And what was some of the the, the stranger things? That okay, you ate? so definitely, I mean, I went pasta crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I had two dinners one night. I don't oh know. wow! When's the last time you had two dinners in one night? Um, a couple weeks ago, couple maybe. weeks ago, right? But it's <laughs> yeah. not since then. Yeah. Um, no, it was awesome. I, the, I mean, like the uh, Venice has got like the seafood. I was, um, you know, Rome. I mean, they've got the pasta, the gnocchi, the the gelato. gelato all about right, the gelato. Right. Probably the strangest thing I ate, which you know they have here too, but it's just uh, was in Venice would have been the squid ink pasta. Now they have it everywhere, but uh, it's just like it gets all over you, and it's true squid ink. I mean, it's all over my face. I, I I looked like a minstrel, honestly, at that point. So that completes our travelogue segment. Let's take a break, and we'll come back with the famous four Fs. All right. So this brings us to our last segment, the four Fs of cultural survival, film, fiction, food, and funk. So, Brendan, if you may, please tell us about Italian film. Okay, so let's start with uh, Sergio Leone. 
of course, he was the king of spaghetti westerns. Mm, delicious. And uh, the inventor of the extreme close-up in westerns. Uh, some of his must-see films included Fistful of Dollars, uh, which helped launch a young Clint Eastwood's movie career. Uh, the Good, The Bad, and The Ugly from 1966. Uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, now I understand why they're called spaghetti westerns. Mm-hmm. They're we- Italian westerns. Um, but like, why did that? Ha- like, why did like Sergio Leone take such like interest in like the Wild West? I don't know why. It like, wasn't wh- just it wasn't just him too. It was you know other Italians. But yeah, that is interesting. Like why. That was such a fertile ground for Italian filmmaking. Because nothing about that is Italian. Like, there's yeah. no Italian influence in right, that. Right, right. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. yeah. That's very interesting. Um, Ennio Morricone. Oh, yeah. Was the composer. Uh, he composed the, the famous theme from The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of the, uh, the great Italian uh, composers. He also... Scored uh, Cinema Paradiso. Oh, really? Another must see film. One of actually my favorite. Yeah, films. this is this is on the top of your list. Of course, uh, uh, Cinema Paradiso being your uh, favorite film, where mine is, of course, Coming to America, starring uh, <laughs> Sir Eddie Murphy. They're almost the same. You know, like, almost the same concept. Lots of parallels. Um, so just Cinema Paradiso, um, Giuseppe Tornatore's Oscar-winning movie was shot in the director's native village near Palermo in Sicily. And tells its story through a series of flashbacks. Uh, the central figure is a, is a successful film director named Salvatore, uh, who returns to his village for the funeral of the projectionist of the Magica Cinema Paradiso of his childhood, which was a movie theater, uh, only to find out that it is about to be raised to make way for a car park. Mm, interesting. And so there's to actually combat the uh, the uh, the parking congestion in the city. <laughs> of course, right. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in that movie. You know. Uh, I think one of the more bittersweet things is the the sort of uh, love of the movies that sort of people don't really have. Uh, they don't have that connection to like the theater anymore. Um, which and it's just you know an overall overall good love story and uh, one of my faves. I would definitely recommend you to check it out. All right. Well, I hope that is on the streaming services. Now, uh, another uh, one that was uh, interesting was the talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, so. So describe the, the, the summary of it is that, uh, so to be young and carefree uh, amid the blue waters and idyllic landscape of sun-drenched Italy in the late 1950s, uh, that's La Dolce Vita Tom Ripley craves, uh, and Dickie Greenleaf leads. Uh, when Dickie's father asks Tom to bring his errant playboy son back to America, Dickie and his beautiful expatriate girlfriend, Marge Sherwood, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, never suspect the dangerous extremes to which Ripley will go to make their lifestyle his own. Interesting. Uh, uh, so it had a lot of great scenery amidst mm-hmm. uh, the rampant murders uh, in which Mr. Ripley um, had committed. Uh, he's not that talented, to be honest, because basically <laughs> what he does is... He'll, like, kill somebody um, and then, like, have to cover it up through a series of lies. Mm-hmm. And, like, the moment somebody, like, is the least bit suspicious, he just kills them. Oh, he kills them. It's yeah. just like that. It's just like, it's like uh, Tom, what were you doing covered in blood uh, the other day <laughs> with a dead body? Like, at the same night that that guy went missing. Right, He's right. just like, um, hold on, let me just get a drink. And then he'll just, like, hit him on the head with, like, a statue. <laughs> it's like, oh, come on. Yeah, well, yeah, anybody yeah. could do that. Right, right. Uh, yeah, so uh, interesting film. So let's move on uh, to fiction. So 
let's talk about some great uh, works of literature. Let's obviously we're going to start off with the Aeneid. Um, you know, I took Latin in high school, and I had to translate segments of the Aeneid. Um, I um, on most of the examinations, I did, of course, fail miserably. So <laughs> I couldn't quite uh, give you the best translation. Um, but uh, just a summary here is that it's a Roman epic uh, by the poet uh, Virgil. Uh, he spent 11 years and 12 books tracking the outbound adventures and inner turmoil of Trojan hero Aeneas from the fall of Troy to the founding of Rome. Uh, Virgil died in 19 BC with just 60 lines to go in his Aeneid. Uh, it's a sort of a kind of sequel to Greek epic uh, poet Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. So it's basically in the Iliad, Rome falls, and mm-hmm. in that story, actually, there is a reference to uh, Aeneas, oh. uh, you know, and that he's going to start a great nation. And then, so he basically sort of takes that story and builds off of it, because essentially at this time, like this is again, this is the glory, uh, glory days of Rome. He wants to write an epic uh, honoring like. You know this uh, this great nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he writes the Aeneid. Uh, what's interesting is like they always refer to it as a poem, uh-huh. and like <laughs> why? Like like it's like eight thousand pages. I was gonna ask that. I was like, like, how come they never switch to prose? When does it stop being a poem? Like uh, I would imagine. I think in the Middle Ages when they started the novel, sort of uh, sort of took off. At least in Europe. Well, that's a that was a novel idea. Okay. Sure was. <laughs> so, uh, now uh, the uh, another great work is of course the Divine Comedy. Now, audience, I don't want you to think this is going to be you know uh, sort of like the Kings of Comedy with uh, you know um, Cedric the Entertainer. It's not going to be one of these <laughs> sort of a uh, sort of joints. <laughs> uh, this is gonna. This is of course uh, this is uh, by Dante Alighieri. So the Inferno is the first part of uh, of Dante's uh, 14th century epic poem, The Divine Comedy. Uh, it's followed by uh, Purgatorio and Paradiso. Uh, the uh, Inferno tells the journey of Dante through hell, guided by the ancient Roman poet Virgil. So as you can see, a callback oh, yeah, to uh, Virgil, author of the Aeneid. Now, uh, my understanding is that, that you know this is a uh, this is there's a whole theme of this love story between him and Beatrice, who actually was a real person. Okay, so now our third F is of course food, and I want to give a food recommendation. Okay, um, I'm going to say if you're in Rome, I I and I urge. Our listeners to go to Trattoria del Omo, okay. Particularly on a Thursday night, that's when they have homemade gnocchi. This is a little trattoria. There's just like an old lady sitting in there, as you'd imagine, just cooking all day. Uh-huh. There's a frantic waiter smoking cigarettes with his shirt untucked, right, right. who is scrambling. Like honestly, I, when we go in there, it is like within minutes. Like we got there when it opened, like right when it opened up for the night, and it was packed. Almost instantly, and mm. all of a sudden, he's coming out with all kinds of plates to every table. I'm like, right. nobody ordered anything yet. Yeah, like, yeah I don't yeah. know who even ordered all those things because mm. it didn't happen. I think they're just like, whatever. There's people here; they yeah, need food, yeah, yeah. and he's just putting it on any table. Doesn't matter. Um, it uh, made for quite a uh, electrifying atmosphere and was a ton of fun. That sounds really delicious. Greatly priced, the best nookie I ever had. That brings us to our fourth and final F, and that is, of course, funk. And I'd like to close uh, this episode with Nel Blu, De Pinto de Blu, by Domenico Madugno. Penso che un sogno così non ritorni mai più. Mi dipingevo le mani e la faccia di blu. Poi d'improvviso venivo dal vento rapito. 
e incominciavo a volare nel cielo infinito Felice di stare lassù E volavo, volavo felice Più in alto del sole ed ancora più su Mentre il mondo piantava